0: So Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. He then rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember what that imposter said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise again. Therefore, command the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may go and steal him away and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. And the last deception would be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers go make it as secure as you can so they went with the guard and made the tomb secure by stealing the stone that is how the Gospel of Matthew sets the scene before the amazing events of Easter morning the way that Matthew tells it those two women Mary and the other Mary sat there, across from the tomb of Jesus, from Friday night until early Sunday morning. They were witnesses to everything that happened, and, according to the Gospel of Matthew, some pretty freaky things happened. Here is the story he tells, seen from a few unusual points of view. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 4.4, Assignment Implausible. The proprietor looked up as Jim stepped from the busyness of the streets of Jerusalem and into the small bar. I would love to eat some nice ripe figs, Jim said to the man. But it is not yet the season for figs, replied the bartender. To which Jim said, then cursed be all fig trees forever the proprietor nodded and then briefly glanced at a table in the far corner jim went there and sat down a few moments later a waiter came by carrying a covered dish he put it down without a word and left as soon as he was alone jim removed the lid and looked down there was a tape recorder gently nestled within a bowl of couscous, and its reels began to turn automatically. Good morning, Jim. The tape began. As you know, Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem three days ago. We have now located him. He is situated in a tomb outside the city. The tomb is covered with a large stone that has been sealed... By Pontius Pilate, a guard of cracked troops has been placed outside. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to bust Jesus out of that tomb. You may select your own team and are authorized to employ a Class three earthquake. One more thing, Jim. Jesus is also dead, but the big guy will take care of that little detail. As always, should you or any of your impossible mission's flock be caught or crucified, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Jim leapt up and dove out the door of the bar just before the entire place was engulfed in flames. (laughs) Hours later, Jim was sitting at a table, leafing through a small pile of dossiers. Each sheet contained a picture of an IMF agent and the statistics about his or her specialities. For example, one of the sheets gave the details on a young man dressed in white. He specialized in sitting around inside tombs. Another file had a pair of men dressed in white. An odd fashion choice, Jim had to admit, wondering why it was so popular. Apparently, these two liked to work as a team and specialized in sitting outside of tombs. There was another file that he lingered on longer. This IMF agent was referred to only as the gardener, but he was intriguing in that he bore a striking resemblance to Jesus himself. But in the end, Jim put all of the files to one side. No, he said to himself, I'm going to take care of this one myself. The lowly foot soldier paced back and forth in growing frustration. His mate sat on a rock nearby picking his teeth, having just finished his rations. The Pacer's impatience finally boiled over and his complaints came flooding out. I still don't get it, Gaius. Our orders were to come out here and guard this tomb. He jutted his thumb towards the massive stone that covered the entrance to a rather ordinary tomb. And can you tell me why that was something that was so important? that the governor himself ordered us to come here? Uh, What's the point, after all? I mean, did you get a load of that guy when they put him in there? That man is no more. He has ceased to be. He's expired and gone off to meet his maker. He's a stiff, bereft of life. He rests in peace. He was nailed to a cross and now he's pushing up the daisies. His metabolic processes are now history. He's off the twig. He's kicked the bucket. He's shuffled off his mortal coil, run down the cotton, and joined the bleeding choir invisible. This is an ex-Galilean. The other man laughed. That was pretty good, he said. Now, do the what have the Romans ever done for us speech. But seriously, man, replied the pacer, who ever heard of setting a guard to keep a dead man in his tomb? I mean, of all rotten, meaningless duties to draw, why do we have to get this one? The other man got up from the rock picked up his spear and shield, and resumed his pacing as well. I know, he said. Someone likely screwed up the paperwork. What are you going to do? But I don't know about you, none of that is really my biggest problem with being here. I've drawn meaningless duties before. What I can't stand is the women. I mean, look at them. They've been sitting there all night long, just opposite the tomb. They're staring at us with tears streaming down their faces. I wish they would just go away. It's spooky, and I don't know what to do about it. Well, don't look now. (laughs) They're not sitting anymore, said his companion. They just got up, and they're heading our way. The soldiers formed up, hefted their shields in front of them, and got as far as shouting, HALT! IN THE NAME OF POMP! Before the whole world just came apart. The angel, Jim, used the distraction of the massive, but extremely localized, earthquake to enter from stage left. He used some sort of power that we will never understand to direct the seismic waves in such a way as to break the seal and shift the massive stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb. How he managed to smuggle the resurrected Jesus out of the tomb without anyone seeing that happen, I will never know. All of this was far too much for the delicate constitution of the armed guards who fainted straight away and fell down as if they were dead men. The women, however, seemed to be made of sterner stuff they continued to approach the tomb at a steady pace. Jim quickly scrambled up to the top of the massive stone and lounged there comfortably. He quickly thought about what he might say next. It would be the most memorable speech of his entire career. there are a number of varying accounts of the resurrection of Jesus to be found in the Gospels. They're not always easy to reconcile with each other. Even the accounts of the women who go out early on Easter morning to discover an empty tomb have very large variations between them. They disagree, for example, over how many women there were and what their names were. They disagree about whom they encountered there Mark says one young man in white, Luke says two, and only Matthew says they were met by an angel. This episode was based exclusively on Matthew's rather unique account of that morning, and I told it in such a way as to enhance the uniqueness of Matthew's story. Only Matthew adds the details about guards being on the tomb and what happened to them details that are notoriously hard to harmonize with the accounts in the other Gospels. Every year, when I read the resurrection accounts, I've got to admit that I struggle with the inconsistencies between the accounts. The closer you look at these stories, the harder it seems to be to answer questions like, who was there, what did they see, and who saw what first? If these were meant to be journalistic accounts or testimony to an event in a court of law, they would likely be rejected uh, in terms of reliable evidence just based on the inconsistencies between them. I always take comfort in knowing that the gospel accounts were not written as journalistic reports or court testimony. To expect them to hold up to the standards of that kind of literature is actually unrealistic. This is what I believe happened. After Jesus had been crucified, his friends and followers had experiences that convinced them that he was alive. Now, when people experience things like that, experience things that do not fit into the way they have previously understood the world, they will naturally struggle to understand and communicate what they have experienced. This is exactly what happened to the early church. Over a period of weeks, months, and years, they sought to make sense of what had happened to them. And one of the key ways that people make sense of their experiences is by telling stories to each other. The accounts that we have of the resurrection are the product of that community effort to make sense of something that didn't really make sense. Because they are that kind of story, we should not expect perfect consistency across the accounts. What we should expect is what we find. A strong conviction running through them all that something extraordinary had happened. That Jesus was indeed alive and with his people. That something important had shifted in the universe. That is it for this special pandemic and Easter episode of Retelling the Bible. Make sure you subscribe so that you can get the next one at the end of this month. A great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other post- podcasting platform is a great way to help other people find this podcast. The theme music for this podcast is Ada. Ah, the mood music for this episode is Hitman. The music is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter, at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.